There's that one vague social standard out there that we call trust. Whether you're in sales, whether you're in leadership, the way you listen and how you listen, what you ask, the things that you say, and your focus or your intent all builds trust. This is called benevolence. And it's one of the most important parts of gaining trust with another human being. In the second part of my interview here with author and speaker, a friend of mine, Stephen Shedletsky, we discuss the benefits of benevolence as we drive further into and deeper into how to be a great leader and build a speak up culture. You know, I'm thinking about the, the flip side of this equation that you and I have been talking about. We've spent some time on the leadership role and responsibilities, which is huge. Um, I would agree. What about from the team, the individual on the team? What about their responsibility, right? Because they get frustrated if they're not yep. performing. And we all know when frustration and agitation kick in, we lose our objectivity, you know, we yep. start to listen to the stories in our head that maybe, you know, set us free and it, they don't, they don't require us to take accountability at the end of the day. Right. Yep. What are the responsibilities of the individual when it comes to the speak up culture, right? What, yep. do, what do they have to be aware of? It's that word again, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a brilliant question. So um, I'll still speak to both because it is a human relationship, right? So one, I like to make the distinction between capital L and lowercase l leadership. So capital case L leadership is you have a formal role and title of leadership, and you actually have, again, that social contract to lead. Um, just because you have the title doesn't mean you are a leader. Um, leadership is in the behavior, right? Um, we've all met and know titles who do not lead, and people might do as they say out of fear or necessity or because they have authority over them. Um, but that's not leadership. That's authority. Um, there's lowercase l leadership, which is you may not have the title at all, but you have leadership and you have influence based upon the way that you behave. So this entire conversation and leading to lead as a verb, it is open to any one of us. Um, and I'm a big believer, Dan, that we we should behave into the role that we want next anyway. If if you want a promotion into that leadership role, just start behaving as such now, right? Which means by the time that you step into that role, you're already well prepared because you've been trying it on. Um, so that's one is, you know, leading, lowercase l leading is available to all of us. And if you want to find a leader, look to someone who has followers, someone who's who, who has people going in the direction that they're going, people who have their back, not for them, but for themselves, because those folks feel that that individual has their best interests at heart and mind. Boom, you found your, found your leader. Um, when it comes to cultivating a speak-up culture, it is not 99% on the leader, but it's at least 51. I don't know what number between 51 and 99, but it's somewhere there. <laughs> um, I don't think it's 80 you know, maybe it's 60, maybe it's 65, maybe it's 70, but it's at least 51, which means, you know, leaders must encourage and reward, but um, those who work with and for them, 
must also take a little bit of a risk, right? I'm not a believer. We hear this term, Dan, the fearless leader. Never met one, by the way. And if you truly come across a fearless leader, they're dangerous because fear is important. Fear is data. If it weren't for fear, we wouldn't have courage. And so I think the work of leadership is not to elim eliminate fear, that's a fool's errand, but to create less fear. And when leaders work to create less fear, now our lowercase l leaders need to step into that, you know, speak up spotlight and take a risk and see how it goes. Uh, and then you have your dance of encourage and reward. So if your leaders say it's safe and worth it to speak up and they display it with their behavior, I think it, it, it is, uh, it is the leaders among us who test the waters and see, um, uh, how does it go? You know, are you rewarded? And reward doesn't mean here's a bonus, here's a promotion, um, here's a pay raise, here's a statue made in your honor in front of corporate offices. Um, reward means thank you. That must have been hard to share. I don't see everything that you're sharing yet. Can you explain a little bit more? You know, we didn't implement your idea, but here's why. Keep it coming. Like these are all forms of reward. Um, and when you reward people for for speaking up and stepping into that spotlight. Uh, it means that they and others around them are all the more likely to bring their ideas, feedback, concerns, disagreements, and mistakes to the front as well. I, I liked something you said there um, in particular. It was more of the circle back because I, I don't think that happens near as enough as people want it to, which is I heard your idea. We took it into consideration. In this particular situation, we didn't think it was the right fit, but keep them coming. And, and here's why. Here's why we felt it wasn't the right fit, which could include market conditions. <laughs> like, sorry, um, uh, it's a great idea. How can we do it on 10% of that budget? Yeah, but I like that part because my gut is that's missed. Not, not – because it's bad intent or ill intent, but my gut is because life gets busy people. Pace. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we know, I mean, I, I reference the good Samaritan study and I, I reference ethical fading in, in the book, like how can good humans behave poorly? Well, we are all subject to the environment that we're in. And when there's a ton of pressure, particularly external or internal pressure, we can cause, we can show up and, and behave in ways that, um, aren't us at our best. And it doesn't give the human beings uh, a, a hall pass, but it can explain uh, uh, unethical or hurried or less than ideal behavior because of pressure, pace, you know, time, money, whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, pressure is a big one. Um, that can change a lot of people's reactions and responses really quickly. Yeah. And so it's, it's how, how can you still be extra clear on what are our values? What do they look like when they're behaved? How do we create an environment where, especially when it's hard and inconvenient, we say, hey, I think this decision we're making actually doesn't reflect our values. You know, I think we should look in the mirror here and make a different decision. And if, by the way, you're labeled as the problem, take the severance package, please. No, that's a powerful, that's a powerful statement right there. Yeah. If, if you can afford to take it or press on, press on in whatever way that you can in line with your own values. So the other similarity that, and there's quite a few of them is the speak up in general sales professionals, whether it's management consulting, 
um, whether it's individuals with um, lots of expertise, complex sales, um, right? Long sales cycles, you know, things like that. Business services, some intangibles. The prospect doesn't, and they're not always right. And so what we try to teach is a mindset and a strategy for sales professionals to speak up when the prospect isn't always right. And mm -hmm. that sounds like foreign language to many. Yeah. I'd probably yeah. say if I took a, if I took a poll of a hundred sales professionals right now, I, somewhere around five to 10 would grasp that concept and say, yes, I actually have a responsibility to speak up. If I feel like this prospect or client is going to make a decision that may not be right for them. Mm -hmm. The majority can't do it and they, they get stuck. They get stuck in the friend zone, right? They get stuck in, in the, the, the bond that human beings make. We connect with one another and they say, well, I don't want to mess that up or I don't want to piss somebody off or what if I upset them? And they put so much um, value on that part of the relationship. They end up sacrificing the other part of the relationship was, which is that trusted advisor. Yep. My gut is there's got to be some complexities like that, right? Leadership too, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of one instance I just had because, you know, I'm also a sales professional. <laughs> you know, I sell uh, keynotes and workshops and coaching and online products and digital courses and all these things. And I sell and I market both in the materials we make on our website and for social media and send out to folks in the conversations that I, that I have. You know, I made a very conscious effort, Dan, early in my career when I figured out I really care about this thing called leadership and culture and, and, and teams and organizations working at, at their best. And I made a conscious choice in like my mid-20s to be like, I'm not going to go get an MBA. I'm just going to focus on doing this. And if I do this in my mid-20s for five, 10 years, and I do it with the right intent and I do it well and I do it with ethics and integrity intact and get feedback on that. Give me some time and I'll be known in this industry or have a brand as, hey, I'll give Stephen a call, I'll give Shed a call. And this just happened to me yesterday. I received a LinkedIn message from someone that I haven't spoken with since 2010 or 11. So literally over 10 years. I knew him growing up, never knew him well thought of him really well. He's highly successful. He's my perfect um, uh, uh, candidate. He, he, he's self-aware. He's humble. He knows what he doesn't know, at least enough. Um, and he reached out to me saying, hey, I got this event coming up with my management team. It's a team of five. We want to work on team leadership culture. We've been doing the EOS implementation stuff. It's been going well. We're looking to level up and really focus on who we are as human beings and, and leaders. And it's not my, my forte, but I know it's yours. Can we talk, right? And I had a conversation with a guy, turns out their budget, eh, not quite where I typically hang out because I don't work in the volume business. I do more in intense depth than, you know, give me 10 clients and let me work with them, you know, on retainer for a day a month type of thing. I'm, it's a different model for me. Um, and I had this great conversation with this, with this guy. And as it turns out, I may not be the right fit for this one event or 
intervention. I think it could go well, but it's too short timeline. I don't think they have the have the have the budget. And so um, here's what I did. I told him exactly what I would do if I got the gig and said, feel free to use this process with someone else if you hire somebody else. I came up with a friend who's local to where they're hosting their event and a friend that I know either lived there or had just moved, but is close by, who I think would be great. Um, and I kept the door open either for this event or for future coaching or consulting or speaking or workshop. And it felt great. I didn't sell to him. I didn't push him. I just shared openly, honestly, offered as much value as I could. And then I divorced myself from the thing I couldn't control, which was what he chooses. All I could control is how am I going to show up and how at the end of this do I feel good? He was appreciative. He's like, hey, I don't think it's right for you and us now, but something later, so delighted that we've reconnected. I've become a trusted advisor in that context. I've told him he's my ideal client because he's self-aware and humble. You know, Did I make a transaction in the short term? Probably not. Did I connect him with a friend? Could could I do well for the friend and for him? Maybe, you know, he now knows about my, my book, you know? So for, for me, it's just a, how can I do right in this one instance and feel good about it and know that loyalty is a feeling based upon behavior. And maybe I just uh, created uh, a loyal advocate of me and my work without making a transaction in the short term. Yeah, that's a great example of benevolence. Thanks. And most of the audience, if I'll remind our, our listeners, benevolence is that number one trust factor. You know, people only care about competency when they know that you're benevolent. Mm -hmm. Totally. We all got to try to remember that. And, 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 and you cannot fake benevolence consistently, like good luck with that. Because if you fake benevolence, it very quickly turns into insincere manipulation. Yeah. 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 And you, and you do the exact opposite. You deteriorate trust quickly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So what are some of the things that you help individuals and organizations like solve? Obviously we've spent a good enough time talking about the speak up culture about behavior, self-awareness, right? The responsibility of the leader, which I love the 51% or greater because it is the truth. It is, you yeah. know, and then also the self-awareness of the individual, right? We touched on a lot of stuff there. So what are some of the things that you're helping organizations and individuals with now? There's a brilliant article by Bright House, which is BCG's Boston Consulting Group's Purpose Hub. And um, I realize this is a lot of the work that I do. So they have like a four-step process of like, this is how purpose comes to life inside of organizations. First is, and I do, this is the work that I do with clients. Discover, you know, oh, this stuff exists. The way I show up as a leader matters. The culture that we cultivate on this team or, or organization impacts the results that, that we get in the short and long term. So one is just build awareness to the fact that this stuff exists and matters. Next is articulate. How can we actually put into clear language 
um, who we are and what matters to us from a purpose standpoint, from a from a values and behavior standpoint, and help to bring the the culture equation to life. I have an equation in the book: culture equals values multiplied by behavior, and all that is raised to the power of influence. That the strength of our culture is the degree to which our values are clear and defined in behavior, and then actually lived. And the more influence one has in a culture, the more their individual values and behaviors bear weight on the results, the, the sort of culture that, that you have in the, in the end. Um, so discover, articulate, and then activate and embed. Um, I then help leaders and organizations, whether through keynotes, workshops, ongoing executive coaching, um, and digital tools, on, uh, online digital tools, um, how can we help them actually bring to life this culture, which is constantly dynamic and evolving? There are certain things that shouldn't change your purpose and your values, but as the world around us and the environment changes and the organization changes, the way in which we bring it to life and, and manifest it will always be dynamic um, and changing and shifting. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to dive a little deeper in that too. Like, let's pretend I'm a leader. What would I be thinking? What frustrations might I be having? Maybe that's a better way to ask. That I, with a little bit of self-awareness, I would step back and say, I need to, I need to work on me and I need to develop this culture where people can feel like they can speak up appropriately, communicate, and then I'm going to treat it with that respect. So it, it actually becomes a strength of ours, this type of honesty we're talking about. What are some of the frustrations as a leader that I might be experiencing? Some frustrations of the leader could be, um, I'm showing up and working so hard and taking so much ownership and my team isn't showing up to do the same. Um, or it could be, uh, I know that my behaviors are getting in the way of my people showing up at their best, but I just can't help myself when it comes to micromanagement or having my pulse on everything, you know, um, or, you know, I'm investing so much in my leadership team, but I'm not seeing them invest in their teams. How do I support my leaders to be leaders of leaders? Um, those are a few. I could think of some more. So where were you for me about 15, 20 years ago then? <laughs> I was just starting my career, Dan. <laughs> I would have checked the box off on all three of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're here now. <laughs> um, but no, you're right. There's that tendency, especially as a young leader. I don't want to say young, but you know, inexperienced, I, I mean it in the best way. Right? Yeah. yeah. Micromanagement because you just, you did, you did the work, you know, the quality, you know, where it needs to be, you know, what has to be done. And then you, all of a sudden you think you're helping others with the micromanagement and you're not right. I've seen, I've seen some organizations do a really brilliant job of finding who are their folks who are actually great people leaders and then putting them in domains that they have no experience in. Um, and the beauty is, is they have no other choice but to trust and empower their teams because their teams have a domain expertise and the role of the leader is to help them overcome obstacles or help grow them. You know, so often we promote people to do the job where they were peers with the other 10 to 15 folks who are at their previous level. We now promote them, but the role of leadership is not catching more fish. It's teaching people how to catch fish in their own right and their own way. Because so often folks will get promoted and then it's like, well, here's what I would do. And it's like, but I'm not you. I can't pull that off, right? The work of leadership is, again, your instrument, their instrument, 
harmony, helping them develop their instrument. Um, so I've, yeah, there are some, some organizations that I see them put folks into roles where they're like, I don't know anything about supply chain analytics, but I know about people and I can help these people. That's brilliant. Um, because right. Human nature is when we feel stress and pressure, we revert to what we know. Control. Yep. Control and safety. And so then by putting someone in a role where they may not have the technical knowledge, but they got the people experience. They have the people skill set. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. One of the best books on this is David Marquet's Turn the Ship Around. Um, it's a brilliant book. It's probably 10 years old by, by now. But Marquet became a uh, U.S. Uh, Navy sub-captain, submarine captain in 1999. And he was given command of a ship that um, uh, uh, he had no idea about. So, you know, in, in 1998, 1999, U.S. Navy, you were taught if you're a good captain, you'll have a good ship. But if you're a great captain, you'll have a great ship. The, the results and the responsibility rest disproportionately on the shoulders of its captain, which is fair. But there were nightmare stories of 18-month deployments of these captains getting four hours of sleep every night because they felt they had to be on all the time. Any entrepreneurs feel that way ever, right? Like empowerment, <laughs> that's a nice word, right? And so Marquet, you, you have a full 52 weeks, a year to prepare to take command over a vessel. And as you go through this training, you invariably think about captains you've had in your career that you're like, they were great. I want to behave like them. And, and the contrary, captains, you're like, no, thanks. And Marquet always gravitated toward the captains that would give him leash. You know, the captains where he'd say, hey, sir, I'm really curious about this side or the other. And the captain would go, go for it. Like on your spare time, check it out, report back, share what you learn, right? As opposed to ones that would punish folks for drawing outside of the lines. He wanted to be the, the, the former and not the latter. The only issue is he studied for 50 weeks and two weeks before he took command, his orders changed. And instead of leading the USS Olympia, which was a pretty, uh, you know, an older but but uh, well-rated ship, he was given and assigned to the USS Santa Fe, which is the uh, it was a newer submarine, but it was the worst-rated sub in the entire U.S. Navy fleet, entire. And he took it from worst to first in a year because he had no other choice but to empower his folks. Um, because through a series of, of exercises, he realized that he didn't know the crew and he didn't know the ship. He actually shouted out some commands that his second in, in command, his navigator, his XO, delivered the same order to which nothing happened. And he looked over to his XO and he's like, did you know that there, that didn't exist on the ship? And the XO was like, yeah, yeah, I knew that. He's like, well, why did you deliver the order? And the XO said, because you told me to, sir. And he went... Like I, he realized that if he led in the way that he was taught to, they would all die. And so he had no other choice but to move his authority, his control to where the information lived. And it was his job to provide mission clarity and then to ensure his folks had the competency, uh, technical skills and, and human attributes, confidence, adaptability to actually deliver upon that that mission. So best book I, I know of how do you actually get out of the way and empower your folks is turn the ship around. Yeah, and, and I think for a leader to do that, they have to let go of that right scarcity mindset 
Um, they have to have that abundant mindset of, you know, scarcity is, can I really afford to do this? What if it goes wrong? Right. If it go, if it blows up, we're screwed or this is going to happen. And anytime we have that mindset in terms of how we're going to filter and make a decision, right. We're going to squeeze same in leadership. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. more of the abundant mindset, which is give people a chance. We'll make this happen. Right. We got good people believe in them. Right. I mean, it's just the mindset too. It's just an, plays an incredible role on how a leader reacts or responds. Yep. That that's what I pulled. That's what I pulled from that story. Totally, and it's the you know the greatest time to actually spark a change is when a transition is needed, or you're reaching an identity crisis, or you reach a point where you you know either because it's smacked right in your face, or you have enough self awareness to go, huh? If I or we continue in the way that we've been going this is not going to go well. Either we're going to fail or I'm going to die younger or we're not going to be, we're not going to be as successful as we could be if I just got out of the way um, and let my people grow um, or enabled my, my people to grow, which is, which is the hardest work there is, just as any parent. <laughs> oh, yeah. So as, we, as we're wrapping up here, is there anything from the book that you'd like to mention, talk about that we haven't hit on? I mean, one is the FBI tool, which I think is so good. Um, I learned this at the Chapman and Co. Leadership Institute uh, close by to St. Louis, which is just the most brilliant formula I know for how to give uh, effective, both constructive or positive feedback, which is feeling behavior impact, FBI. Um, so, you know, I could say, hey, Dan, thanks. Great job today. And you're like, okay, like, cool. You know, or I could FBI it. I could say, Dan, I'm feeling so jazzed. I'm so appreciative of this conversation because, you know, be behavior, you know, your research, your care, your time, your attention, your patience for the fact that we've had to try schedule this thing three or four times and we're here. The impact is, you know, anytime you reach out, I'm here for you. I got your back. Love doing this, right? Which is so much better than great job. Right. And it works similarly with constructive feedback. I like to say that one liners are fine for for jokes, not as good for for feedback. If you say to someone on your team, you're irresponsible or you're lazy. Good luck with that. You know, that's not going to go well, but you could FBI them. You could say, I feel frustrated and let down when you showed up late to three client meetings last week. The impact is I'm not sure I can trust you with what's on your plate right now. And for bonus points, open ended question. What's going on? This isn't like you. Right. The purpose of feedback is to open dialogue and to grow, um, especially as a senior leader. Be known that your feedback is not fact. It's your experience. And it's designed to open dialogue so that you can get the experience of another as well. Um, I've had senior leaders deliver feedback to me as if there's no debate. And it's like, do you care about my experience? I want some feedback on how shitty your leadership is or should we just stop here? You know, <laughs> That might be a whole different podcast where we talk about <laughs> feedback experiences. Just growing up as I grew up, there were some tough leaders and their feedback was not FBI. It was, mm -hmm. hey. There was F. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There might have been a few of those, that's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it was very different. You know, it was your, your, you're not getting the job done. You're messing up. Or I can actually think where people, leaders would be like, what do you, th what were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. That's how they would start the conversation. I mean, now granted, 
that was, I think, pretty typical in the 90s. But it was all, it was more like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Talk about judgment. And, and, and again, I mean, if given the choice between no feedback and feedback from folks I respect, I'd rather it be an unfiltered and true and filled with emotion so long as it's designed to help me grow. Um, but I do think there's a way in which we can approach these conversations with tact, with empathy, with an intent to both. I mean, I'll take from Kim Scott's work because she's brilliant with this in her book, Radical Candor, care personally and challenge directly. You know, too often we care personally, but we don't challenge directly. You know, that's that's being nice. Um, it's both challenge and care. I mean, we didn't talk about it too much, um, but my gut is um there are, or there is that tendency to, as even as a leader, get stuck in the friend zone if you're not careful. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, and, and by, you know, being stuck in the friend zone, it means, you know, folks are taking advantage of you or it's too much empathy or there's too much cushion or pampering. Like, is that what you mean by that, Dan? Yeah. Like, like you gave that great example, um, um, an engagement or communication, but the feedback was left out. Right. And that, that, that's like the friend zone, right? Where it's like, all right, I, I don't want to create that positive tension yeah, because I don't know how that person's going to respond. And so I'll just kind of skirt past it. Yeah. So often when I'm coaching with leaders around the challenges they're having with people on their, on their team, they'll say out loud to me what they just need to say to their team or to their, or to the individual. It's so funny. You know, I'll, I'll be coaching with them. And they'll, they'll say to me, you know, I'm just not sure I should even bother having this hard conversation with them because I'm not sure if they want to do the work to, to, to grow and level up. And I'm like, start there. You know, again, this is, this is a made up scenario. So this is not true, but it's like, Hey Dan, I'm sitting on some feedback for you. And if I'm really honest, I'm telling myself a story that I'm not sure you want to hear it. Um, and when I'm not sure you want to hear it, it just, I don't know if I should share it. So I have some feedback. It could help you grow in your career, in your life as a leader. If you want it, it's here. And then see how your team member responds. Are they like, oh my God, yes, thank you. I do. I've been dying for 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 feedback. Thank you. If it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's like, you know, all right, well, let's talk more about what I mean by this. Like, do you want to go there? Or there could be like, screw you or there it, it could be met with with pushback which is like okay it is a it is a red light what i thought i like that 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 resonates with me that vulnerability and that pure honesty yeah and just take that inner monologue and deliver it in a way that is with tact and and respect because it's it's refreshing yeah i mean i i can think back if someone says that to me yeah, I might be a little nervous of what they're going to say next. I might be a little insecure about what they're going to say next, but they got my attention and they got it in a good way. And again, the purpose of feedback is to help the people around you grow. And if you're showing up with that intent, the right folks will lean in and engage. Um, and the right folks will also lean out and, 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 and disengage. You know, I'm a big believer when I, when I build it, when I build a team, I always say, you know, what's your preferred method to give and receive feedback and we list out some options and it is clear that an option is not e none of the above like we got to find something that works for you uh you know skin in the game being part of this team is that we have positive you know tension lean in and have speak up and feedback conversations duh I, you know 
I wrote a book on it. I have to embody this on my team. It's not easy, but it's worthwhile. As we wrap up here, how can people get a hold of you? You know, what's the best way to try to engage you in, in, a, in a conversation? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Uh, for the time being, I'm the only Stephen Shedletsky, I think, in the entire world. So all you handfuls of Shedletskys, be mindful of what you name uh, any children that are, that, that are forthcoming. Uh, but I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can head over to my website as well, shedinspires.com. And the book's website is speakupculture.com. You can write it on, on the website, you know, connect and write on, on LinkedIn. And I, I love to support leaders who have some humility, who are willing to look in the mirror and go, you know, I am part of the problems that I experience. I'm also part of the solutions I can help to, uh, to lead and create. So if that sounds like, like you, if there's anything I can do to help, we'd be delighted to uh, hear from you. Yeah. And for our listeners, um, I highly recommend Stephen's book. I read it. Um, it was an easy read. You do a good job with adding research in there. And you also do a good job of adding and sharing the stories to help, help people connect what you're sharing, what you're talking about. Thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Yeah. Well, it's great having you. Great to be here. And so good. I hope this conversation is helpful for your listeners and fun to take speak up and, and really uh, drill in for a sales audience. So I hope this helps all you listeners out there. Well, I'm a big fan of it for many reasons. Um, and I just think it, it teaches us really good lessons about ourselves, our own awareness, how we develop. I love the courage part. I love the curiosity part to it. I just, I just better relationships. So love it. Love it. I think we all have that power to uh, have better relationships with the folks around us and it makes life more worthwhile. So I hope this book help, helps with that. I hope this conversation help, helps with that as well. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of the podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapham180.com. Go to contact us. You can also engage with us on LinkedIn at Dan Lappin or Lappin180. 